and Ananias the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as of as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set Peter, James, and another fellow in their midst, they asked, By what power, by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by which means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. We ask Heavenly Father your blessing on your word. This is the, the, the hammer that breaks hard hearts. This is yeah. the sword that splits open uh, hearts that are tender. Mm. We pray for the ministry of your word and the working of the Holy Spirit in all of us today. We beseech you for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I would like to highlight the word vindication today. Title of the message is The Vindication of the Gospel. Let's pretend that during the course of this message, I tell you that I am the reincarnation of the prophet Elisha. I am the Elisha of the Old Testament, returned in the flesh to exhort you to serve the Lord through Jesus Christ. Immediately, a number of red flags should pop up. The first is that I, the prophet of God, have used the word reincarnation, which can't be found in God's word. It's a foreign word. It's a heathen word. It's a, an unbiblical word, but I, I just used it. So, uh-oh, I'm going to watch out for this guy. And then some of you have known me for 40 years, and just now I am telling you that I am Elisha. Wasn't I Elisha 10 years ago? Well... You theologians know that God sent Samuel and Moses and Elijah back from the dead on different occasions with a special purpose. And that took place before the completion of the word of God. But what reason would the Lord have to bring Elisha back in this flesh and now? Hmm. Furthermore, you have been taught to believe the Bible before you trust any man, especially that man who says, I am a prophet of God in the last days. You want to see it in the Word of God, or at least you better want to see it in the Word of God. Now, if I continue to uh, insist that I am Elisha, and you don't immediately walk away or call the police, you might, you just might, be willing to let me vindicate my statement. You might say, if you are Elisha, do some Elisha things. Uh, make a dry path across the Spokane River. Make an axe head float in that river. Go upstream a little ways, across to the other side, and then come back to me. 
Be like Jesus or Elisha. Multiply my supply of oil and bread. Fill my gas tank with gasoline and never let it run out. Or somehow put chicken wings on my table so that when I go home from church today, there'll be food ready for me to eat. Do something Elijah-like. My grandmother died 13 years ago. I'd like to talk to her again. If you're Elisha, bring her back so I can visit with my grandmother. Heal Naaman. Or if you like, command that President Biden be struck down with shingles. Prove that you are, Elisha. Vindicate yourself and your statements. Defend your claims. You should demand these things because, isn't it true, you really don't want me to be Elisha? Of course, I'm not going to tell you a lie like that. But I am going to tell you that your potential reaction are good illustrations of what these unbelieving Jews thought about what Peter was telling them. Those people had no more desire to believe Peter and John and their gospel of Christ than you have to believe that I am Elisha. The leadership of Israel had already hated Jesus Christ for several years. They stalked and harassed him for months and months and months, and then finally they had him crucified. He was executed because they refused to believe the message that Jesus was sharing with them. They had no interest in the gospel, and they looked down on anyone who was connected with Christ, and that would be John and Peter and others. So with Peter and John standing before them, they commanded them not to speak or to teach in Jesus' name. Chapter 4 and verse number 18. But going back to my word of the day, earlier they demanded that Peter vindicate himself. By what power, by what name have you done this? And Peter replied, By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Now to understand all of this, let's return to the events of the day before. Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit, and rejuvenated in their faith in the Lord, were approaching the temple just about prayer time in the afternoon. As they entered through the gate, which is called Beautiful, they passed by a crippled beggar, and they heard him cry out for alms. They heard him cry out for a coin or two. Apparently, this man had been in the temple for every day, nearly every day for 30 years. He was apparently well known to all the regular temple attendees, including the priests and the Sanhedrin, uh, including the leadership of Israel. They knew this man. Then Peter, fastening his eyes upon him, said, Look on us. And the man willingly did, hoping for some money. But then he heard, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
rise up and walk. When he heard that Peter had no silver or gold, he might have hoped at that point for some coin of a lesser value. But when Peter reached down with his right hand and pulled the man to his feet, his, his shriveled legs marvelously were made whole and strong. Miraculously, his ankles and legs could hold up his adult frame. This had never happened before. And the formerly helpless man began to leap and dance and skip and to go with Peter and John into the temple. He put his arms around them. He held them, apparently creating quite a stir, praising God for his new ability to walk. And all the people ran unto them in the porch that is called Solomon, greatly wondering. Then Peter, surrendering himself to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, began to preach Christ and the gospel. Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? It was not our will, our power, our goodness, but through the power of Jesus Christ that this man has been healed. After that, Peter verbally took a step back. But you and your leaders took our Lord Jesus Christ and had him crucified. The Messiah of Israel died on a Roman cross as you all know, and many of you probably were even eyewitnesses of that crucifixion and that death. But I'm here to tell you, he's no longer dead. He's no longer dead. I and my friends have spoken with him. We have eaten bread with him. We have prayed with him since his death. He who is the prince of life has been raised from the dead by the power of his heavenly father. Those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. Repent you therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Well, at about that point in time, the... Priests, men of the Sadducean sect, rushed in, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now these people were raised in the Old Testament. They had those books that we have out of the Old Testament. They had heard about Elisha raising the dead. They had heard about this sort of thing before, but uh, they didn't believe that. They were scientific minds. They were modernized. They don't believe any of that old stuff. So they were upset that Peter and John were talking about the resurrection, even though it should have been obvious. They were upset with that. So Peter and John, along with the man who had been healed, were tossed into jail for freedom of speech. What a wonderful night that must have been, especially for that uh, uh, former lame man. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if they were in a cell or not. I don't know if they were uh, had their feet bound or tied to the wall or whatever it was. But let's just say that that man was on his feet all night long, just walking around, stretching his ankles and enjoying that. And then in conversation with Peter and John, what a blessed night that must have been. How glorious that must have been. <laughs> they were speaking with Peter about this Jesus of Nazareth who has strengthened my legs. This is something. If that man was not a believer in Christ just after his healing, then by the next morning he probably was. He got the full gospel, as they say. He was ready to suffer as a Christian and to glorify God in sharing his new faith in Christ. Well, after the sun came up, was up for a little while, the Jewish high priest and his corrupt father, the former high priest, along with several others, brought the three prisoners out and had them set in front of them. By what power and by what name have you done this? Done what? First there was the healing of the lame man, and then there was the audacious declaration that was done by the power and the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom Peter directly called the Messiah, Christ. Peter also declared that those were the very men who denied the holy, the holy one and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted his freedom. These were the men who had Christ crucified. I wish I had time to fully examine all of the ways in which Peter referred to Jesus in this text. He called him Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. Jesus, the Son of God, the God of Abraham, the Holy One and Just. Peter called him the Prince of Life, the prophet who was to be like Moses, the Resurrected One, the stone which the builders of Israel had rejected, referring to Psalm 118, verse 22. And then he said, Jesus is the Savior, neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Chapter 4 and verse number 12. It was for all these things and his biblical theology that the priest demanded that Peter vindicate himself. By what power, by what name have you done this? They wanted to know the source of Peter's power. The Greek word is dunamis. From where did you get the physical power to do this miracle? And they also wanted to know from where he got his authority. In whose name have ye done this? And with that, I come back to my theme. The vindication of the gospel. I'd like to use some of Peter's words and deeds to justify what I do here on Sunday mornings, week after week. I want to vindicate myself before potential criticism for this wasted hour on Sunday morning. 
I have to explain why I preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ within a society which has no desire for the Christ that I preach. I will start at the heart of Peter's reply. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Be it known unto you all that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. I can justify my declaration of the gospel because the Savior, who is at the center of the gospel, lives. Yes, amen. Peter began his message to the crowds in the temple the day before, pointing out their sinfulness in crucifying Christ. He delivered up God's Son and denied Him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let Him go, but she denied the Holy One and just and killed the Prince of Life. Chapter 3, 13 through 15. Then in the faces of these priests, he once again said, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, ye crucified. Chapter 4, verse number 10. Peter didn't need to quote Romans 3 to prove their sinfulness. He didn't need to make a list and check these boxes. You guys are a bunch of wicked hypocrites. One fact was sufficient. They killed the Son of God. Is there a sin any worse than that? But then in both those messages, Peter vindicated his boldness, vindicated his message by saying, But God hath raised him from the dead, whereof we're all witnesses. Acts chapter 3, verse 15. Acts chapter 4, verse number 10. I preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ without shame or regret because the Savior who gave his life a ransom for my salvation lives today administering that ransom and that salvation. This is one of the central truths. This is a primary foundational truth of the gospel. Jesus lives. Earlier, on that uh, greatest Pentecost in Israel's history, Peter was once again preaching, just kind of forced by the circumstances and the Holy Spirit. And he said, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. When Peter was talking to the Roman soldier Cornelius a few chapters later, he said, We are witnesses of all things which Jesus did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall have remission of sins. That's from chapter 10. 
The resurrection of Christ was the theme of all the early preachers, the ones that we find in the Word of God. It should still be the theme of our message today. Acts chapter 17. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. And this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. He began his Roman epistle with the authoritative words, This letter is concerning God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Perhaps anticipating a little pushback from some unbelievers, we have that chapter from 1 Corinthians 15, or those words from chapter 15, which we read a little earlier. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again uh, according to the Scriptures. He was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve, After that, he was seen of 500 brethren all at once. The greater part remain under this present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James and then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. Of course, we're here. 2,000 years removed from the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. It is easy for the modern uh, unbeliever to talk about science, to talk about religious fables, and a lack of evidence for the resurrection of Christ. But when Peter was talking to these priests, everything was absolutely fresh. The facts were obvious. Furthermore, As we've already said, these priests were involved in the crucifixion. They were involved in the cover-up of the resurrection. How are they going to deny the resurrection? Some of these very men had bribed witnesses to keep their mouths shut about the truth. And with every reference Paul, Peter gave to them, it was as a knife was slitting open their heart just a little bit farther and a little bit farther. As I look at Peter and John, I see other things which vindicated them and which speak to my heart. For example, I see their boldness, who only a few days before were cowering in fear at the mention of these priests and Sadducees and Sanhedrin. The disciples, all of the disciples, had been changed by the grace and the power of God very recently. Look at the faith of these two servants of God. Walk up to a stranger, and with no background information given to us, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up. That's faith. Practical faith. Come on, Peter. What gives you the... The guts, the the gall, the faith to tell a 40-year-old invalid to stand up and walk. 
His faith was explained when he was brought out of his cell and told to stand before the high priest. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, That's where this faith came from. He was filled with the Spirit of God. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter boldly declared the gospel to people who hated the primary character of that gospel. And he didn't hesitate. Just laid it out there. Later, when these three were released, they met with many of the church telling them what had happened. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Speaking the word of God with boldness ought to be from the power of the Holy Spirit. I confess with some degree of shame that I know what it is to minister the gospel without the power of God. It happens. But on the other hand, it is not with any pride at all that I say, I also know what it is to be filled with the Spirit of God and to preach the gospel with with the power of the Lord. On those occasions, and there have been many, on those occasions, I feel fully vindicated in carrying out my commission to declare Christ the Savior. On those occasions, the presence and power of the Lord is the source of my power. I have people who are concerned for lost souls and who care about the ministry who are praying that I be filled with the Spirit when I get up here to preach. To answer the skeptics who say, by what power, by what name have you done this? I say, it's in the name and under the authority of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if Peter was deliberately trying to do so, but he vindicated his ministry with Scripture. He alluded alluded to the Old Testament several times while he was there in the temple on this occasion. And earlier in his Pentecostal sermon, you could say that his text came from the book of Amos, and he preached the word of God to them. Here he pointed to Deuteronomy 18. For as Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him ye shall hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And 5,000 of those people did hear him on that day. Then, as I said earlier, Paul, Peter referred to Psalm 118. When they were told not to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus, Peter told them, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And what had they heard? They had spent three years with the Savior. They heard a great many things directly from the lips of the Son of God. How do I vindicate my preaching this message or any other gospel message? If these were my ideas, if this was my philosophy, I might be embarrassed. But I'd try very hard to saturate my messages with quotations from the eternal 
Word of God. The preacher of the Gospel must fill his messages with the Bible for that is the power of God unto salvation. Not eloquence or logic. The Word. Each of these things were important to Peter. And they're important to me in the vindication of my ministry. But there was something else which reached out and grabbed the hearts of those priests more than these things that I've already mentioned. Verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, oh, that's impressive, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, in other words, unschooled, like themselves, they marveled. And then they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. But when they beheld, beholding the man which is healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. How do you respond to that? What is the most obvious vindication of the gospel message? It isn't the changed lives of old, stale disciples. It's the changed lives of wicked and spiritually handicapped sinners like the man at the beautiful gate. Everyone who lived in Jerusalem had at some time or other seen that man in the temple with his useless legs. Verse 22 tells us he was more than 40 years old. Probably from a child, his parents carried him into the in front of the temple and laid him there because, hey, a three-year-old with a cup in his hand, oh, that's heart-wrenching. And uh, he was a beggar. He'd been a beggar all his life. He may have made a pretty good living at begging. And now that he's a, a grown man, he may have had the financial wherewithal to hire a couple of guys or maybe four guys to carry him to the temple every day and pick him up and take him home at the end of the day. I don't know. I don't care. The point is, he was well known. And now he is becoming a celebrity. And this celebrity was willing to serve and suffer as a believer in Christ. How I wish I knew the rest of the story. One of these days, perhaps the saints of God will be able to sit down with this man and and cover his biography, which would be so much more interesting than ours. How many hours was it before he demanded baptism as a testimony of his new faith in Christ? Was he baptized on that very afternoon? As joyful as he was, I don't think he returned quietly to his family, satisfied to be able to walk into the front door of his house. The man had never been employed, so he didn't go back to his old job with a new attitude. I'd be surprised if he didn't become an evangelist of some sort. Was he one of the deacons that we read of later? Was he one of the members of the church, uh, Jerusalem church to go to Antioch because of the persecution which was stirred up by Saul? I can guarantee that he would have been one of the primary targets of Saul and his persecution because he has quite a testimony. Maybe we never hear anything more about him because he was jailed and even executed shortly after his salvation, his conversion to Christ. It's a possibility, I don't know. 
The vindication of Peter's ministry included this man and his testimony of salvation in Christ. And still today, one of the most important justifications of the gospel is the fruit that the gospel creates in saved souls. If you are a child of God, recently born into the family of God, then you need to be clinging to Peter and John and be willing to be tossed into the hold with them as they preach Christ. You need, along with the blind man of John 9, when his Savior was slandered, he answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know. Whereas I was blind, now I see. Whereas I was crippled, now I walk. Whereas I was a wretched, horrible sinner, now I have a a desire for righteousness and to serve the Lord. Are you a child of God? Why are you not? Why are you not? Why not join the 5,000 who were saved on that day? after witnessing the salvation of this lame man and listening to the message of the apostle. If you are living a life of a Christian and sharing the testimony of the child of God, it wakes people up. Why are you not doing this? We have only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I beg of you, repent of your sins. Put your faith in Christ. And then give the Lord your your two legs and the rest of your life. He deserves all that we have. And to be honest, it's the best way to spend one's life. Please stand.